I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, you are listening to the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where your next great story begins. On the show, we share sessions from past Third Coast conferences featuring the world's top radio makers and podcasters. I'm your host, Dennis Funk. This is the second of two sessions from the 2014 Third Coast Conference, where you'll learn what it takes to be an audio entrepreneur. Each session is hosted by Leah Tao, who has her own successful podcast, Strangers, and built the live storytelling project, The Moth, from a small local series to a national organization. For this panel, she's joined by Chris Bannon, who was at WNYC at the time of this recording, but now works for Midroll Media. Gimlet Media co-founder Alex Bloomberg, and Carrie Hoffman, the CEO of PRX and Radiotopia. Okay, here's Own Your Thing, part two. So I actually see quite a few faces from yesterday, and um, can't be too many, but I, can we just get a show of hands of who was here yesterday? Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much, but... Um, as uh, those of you who were here yesterday know, uh, we had a panel with three makers who are have created their own show and have been through the process of how do you do that, how do you find an audience, how do you find some money for it, and so on. And uh, what became clear in that conversation was that all panelists had actually ended up partnering with in existing institutions at some point, had started independently, but had found a way to partner with existing institutions and that that had been beneficial for all of them in different ways. Um, and so, you know, today we have some representatives from some of these institutions, uh, Chris Bannon of WNYC, Alex Bloomberg of the freshly named Gimlet Media, and Carrie Hoffman of POX. Uh, and a lot of questions came up yesterday about, okay, well, uh, how does the money work, and how do I convince my station that this is maybe something uh, they could get into? And so we'll try to address some of those questions today. Um, but I think there is a huge opportunity that can be a win-win for independence, and I think judging from yesterday and the questions we had, <clears throat> it seemed to me like uh, there were a lot of people in the room who were maybe hoping that they could do their own thing and how could they find support for it and so on. And so we'll make a lot of time again today for your questions, um, but I, uh, I think there's an opportunity there, and I've personally been very fortunate to have the support of KCW from the start of my show, Strangers, and um, you know, they give me some money and they give me some production support, and it's been a fantastic relationship for me. They've let me produce
produce it very independently, and I think this is something that has, was very kind of progressive and forward-thinking of them to say, oh yeah, we could invest in an independent and we could um, partner with her and, and we could uh, invest in something that's podcast only, and now they think there's more and more of a trend in that direction. Um, so uh, I've been fortunate to, do, to have that relationship, and now I also have a relationship with PRX uh, because I'm part of Radiotopia, and on both fronts it's been uh, an, uh, an absolute win with almost no downside <clears throat> for me. Um, so I think there's an, a narrative there that institutions and independents can partner in ways that are really interesting and that there's a lot of opportunity in this field. But I also had an experience before I started Strangers where I ran the Moth for 10 years, the live storytelling organization, and I tried for eight years to get the Moth on the radio and nobody wanted it. And it's just hard, like I didn't really have connections in public radio and when I managed to get in touch with someone in public radio, they were like, no, we have no interest in putting your show on the radio. And so then we launched a podcast finally because we were like, apparently we can't get it on the radio and we launched a podcast and through the success of the podcast, we're able to create a national radio show. And so um, I think that's also a story that's, that shows, well, institutions can sometimes, uh, the timing is wrong or the money isn't there, even if you have an archive of a lot of stories that you've actually produced and recorded, let alone if you're in a situation where you're asking them to invest in you producing a show from scratch, right? And so if you just go and start it yourself and do something and, and make something of it, perhaps you're in a better position to then also do traditional radio. And, and so, um, you know, I want to hear from you guys today about what is in it from the other side in a way. I mean, Alex is a little bit of a, of a special case, um, but um, because he's doing something brand new. But, but Carrie and Chris, you both represent uh, institutions uh, in public radio uh, that are not brand new, shall we say. And, and I think there's specifically something really interesting. I mean, I was excited, Chris, to have you on the panel because I think there's a huge opportunity for stations. And I think some stations are starting to notice this. And uh, so I wonder if you could speak a little bit to this because WNYC has also been at the forefront of saying we could partner with independents, we could also do things that are digital, on-demand, uh, podcast only, that are in-house, and, and how do you see, wh what, what's the opportunity there for a station? Well, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, thank you, Lee. Um, I'm very honored to be here among the makers. I'll try not to represent a destroyer in some way. Um, <laughs> you know, we began podcasting really uh, to serve our own shows, our in-house shows, Radio Lab was much more a podcast than it was a radio series. There were only five hours of Radio Lab a year that we were able to release. But we could, could put pieces of it out through the year in podcasts, and we discovered, oh, people like that. And they did like listening to our local talk shows quite a bit. Uh, so it grew very organically inside the building. Um, but you reach a capacity for what you can accomplish with the people that you have inside the building. And I think we felt a strong desire in the last several years to try to expand what we could offer our audience to um, not simply sit back and be considered a station in a larger network of stations, but to be a creative shop that um, is certainly part of public radio, but is a destination on its own for creativity, for uh, innovation in audio, and uh, all the things that you aspire to do when you uh, begin a podcast. So I got this job a couple of years ago. I was the program director, uh, and it sort of occurred to me, well, 
I've been doing radio for a while. Uh, there are two kinds of directions I could go in. One is managing the radio schedule, and two is working with uh, the hosts and the producers and uh, the audience, really, to make things that people like. And it felt like a great opportunity to dive very much back into showmaking. Uh, the nice thing uh, that's happened it, it simultaneously and without any, uh, without any help from me is that there's been this huge explosion of interest in listening to the stuff that you guys make. So. Uh, uh, we, in the last couple of years, have pursued a couple of different directions. One is to continue the development of in-house talent. We have Manoush Zamrodi here from New Tech City, and Anna Sale from Death, Sex, and Money is there in the back. Um, I ran a contest in the first six months uh, that I had this job as, as content developer, and uh, it was just for the staff. Uh, I asked them to come up with an idea for a show and pitch it to me. We got 85 entries out of a staff of 350 people or so, which I think is a very high ratio. Uh, oh, and I should say PJ and Alex were also part of that, uh, that original crop, TLDR. Um, and they were very good ideas, many very good ideas. Knowing what we, we gave three of them a chance to, uh, to do some piloting. Uh, Jim O'Grady, if he's here, is Jim here too? He was part of that contest. He did a, he did a pitch called Your History Show. He's one of our reporters. Um, so, and, and some of those pilots have turned into ongoing series. Death, Sex, and Money uh, is the most recent of those. Uh, but we also knew we had to look outside the building. And uh, we spent a good part of last year, the people I work with, trying to decide what it was we were looking for. Uh, the first focus was, I think that we, having many men on the air, we knew we needed to find some women. So we applied to the CPB for a grant. They gave us a, a grant to help us uh, create a project called Women's Voices. Three of the four podcasts that I launched this spring uh, have women as hosts. Uh, and it's a start. You know, it's not, it, it's, I think what we have realized is that we have to um, begin to get to know the talented people who are out in this country making great audio um, and, and work with them to develop what it is they're doing. We weren't actually trying to develop necessarily big hit shows that would automatically get giant numbers. Uh, the podcast that we launched this year, uh, Death, Sex, and Money, which just was an excellent concept that Anna came to us with. And it seemed like a, a highly personal kind of storytelling. It was based on uh, really her work as a reporter, who's someone who likes to talk to people, who likes to ask difficult questions. Uh, we partnered with Hillary Frank, who had a longstanding podcast. Um, Hillary and Dan Pashman, who hosts The Sporkful, both had done it themselves. They'd made these shows. They were very good shows. They had reached a kind of, uh, I think, audience plateau and a sort of workload plateau, more importantly. They couldn't get more done because it was simply uh, too difficult to, for one person to take care of that. Um, so, uh, and they each represented, uh, I think, niches that we're interested in exploring. Food, something we know the public radio audience loves. That's Dan Pashman's area of focus. Um, Parenting and uh, I would say early childhoods, the, the focus of the longest, shortest time we went to because no one else was really doing that, not nearly as well as I think as, as Hillary was doing it. Um, Hillary is also someone who wants to build a community. And the, the nice thing about thinking about podcasting is more than audio is uh, it really should be something, your show should live in several dimensions. It should be a place where people gather. Hillary has 4,500 people in her Facebook group. It's a closed group. You have to apply to get into it. They talk incessantly with each other. Uh, they're starting to have meetups without Hillary all over the country. Um, and it was just like you could see that there's really there's a desire and a need for conversations about the issues that she focuses on in that show. 
Uh, if we could help her do that, um, that's a public service and it's also a way to talk to new people and bring them closer to us to get to know, we'd get to know each other a little bit. Um, with Dan, uh, he's a sort of, and, and I should say this about all the podcast hosts that I launched, they're all very self-starting people. I was looking for people who uh, were already really wound up and ready to go. Right? Part, part of my job is sometimes to say, no, let's not do all that right now. Let's try just A through L in, uh, in, this, in this season um, uh, and work on the other letters later. Uh, they will really will kill themselves to succeed. And I think in any part of show business, that's something that you need to have. Uh, I would say Alex and PJ certainly have that kind of drive. Um, and it's something that's beautiful to watch. It's fun to facilitate as the manager uh, of these people. It's, uh, it's important to get out of the way uh, when you need to get out of the way to let them do what they do. Um, so we're looking for entrepreneurial individuals with a brand that existed who could use our help. And we apply to that uh, production help, specifically producers. I think, uh, is Anne in the room uh, from the Sportful? Anne, are you here? No, she didn't make it this morning. I think she had to fly back. Um, is Johanna here from Longest Shortest Time? Oh. Hillary's here. Oh, Hillary's here. Okay, good. <laughs> so we found uh, producers. Actually, Hillary found Johanna, um, who are these fantastic people who are uh, also really energized to help the host build their brand. They work very, very hard. Um, they help, as Hillary noted yesterday, integrate the show into the larger community of projects that we have at WNYC. Um, they help us do things like make sure we're doing uh, as much promotion in the smartest ways as possible for the show. We put all the hosts on other shows of these podcasts. Hillary's been a guest on The Brian Lehrer Show. Uh, Anna has hosted The Brian Lehrer and Leonard Lopate Shows. Dan has, is a regular on uh, the Leonard Lopate show now uh, and got actually Leonard to go to Smorgasburg and I think take bets on what the best food was, something like that. Um, so we're really trying to make them members of the larger WNYC family, but also allow them to keep the independence they need to do the work uh, that they do so very well. And, and that, that's probably the hard, one of the hardest things for a station to navigate, when to, when to push and when to lie back. But um, to your point about the entrepreneurial spirit, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, Hillary was on this panel yesterday of The Longest Shortest Time, now partner with WNYC, and said that she had tried to take her show to institutions to see if she could get any interest, and there was no interest, and then she did a Kickstarter. And part of what she saw as the reason why stations wanted to, or you right. guys now wanted to partner with her, was that she showed, oh, I can raise money, yes. I can develop community, I can do these things. And uh, and her content hadn't really changed, her audience hadn't grown dramatically, And but it, there was something there. And so I wonder on that note, like, could you, maybe just a, a two or three things that you would be most looking for if the if, if somebody was going to come to you and say, would you want to partner well, with sure. me? Sure, what's funny, that I, I left out the biggest thing, in a way, which is, like, have a great idea. Um, have a great idea that's a good fit with the mission of the institution that you're trying to match yourself to. Um, you, can, you may have a great show, and it may be the right thing to do for you, but if it doesn't actually seem to be a good fit with the organization you're approaching, uh, don't take it personally if they say no. Um, some, t you know, we, we, there probably are categories. I, uh, what can I think that would be a category we would say no to? I'm told never to say no to anything, so it's very difficult. Um, I don't know. It just like there are some things we're probably going to be like. I would say a music podcast right now. Um, music is not as big a part of the WNYC mission as it was ten years ago when we played classical music on the evenings. Um, 
We, morning zoo prank show. Morning zoo prank show. Thank you. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> actually, I would love a morning <laughs> I don't zoo know, prank you show. Do, actually. Maybe he's got. If one you one. remember the morning show? Chris and I, I'll fight, you, fight yeah. each other. For <laughs> I'll take. I, we can go partner on it. But, um, you yeah. know, yesterday the question came up of what um, you know. Somebody in the audience said, "I've tried to convince my station, and they just are not interested." And how could I get them to see that yeah. this is? And we said, "Well, maybe you could tell them well, that." <laughs> you know, we tried different things, but from your sort of inside perspective, what what um, there is also a business aspect I, here, right? You're not just doing it to support creativity. You no. also see this as the future or something there's money in and potentially, or, or what, what would be the argument for why a station need, needs to, to have uh, podcasts or... Well, there are yeah. a couple arguments. One is to diversify the, the offerings that you give to really try to... I mean, I, I think we're, it's an ongoing, certainly, a process for us, and we're not nearly representative enough. We have to do a lot more work. I can't put more people on the radio. The radio is a finite space. Right? Podcasting is infinite. It's, it's, at least you can do as much of it as you can manage, I think. Um, I think it's important to show that you could raise money. I don't know that not everyone is good at raising money. Uh, I think you have to have something that, that you and the station can agree or you and the partner that you find agree is, it's possible to raise money on and then to try to really systematize what you're doing. Hillary uh, did that Kickstarter, and I do remember when I got the email from uh, Dean, my boss, saying, like, look at Hillary's Kickstarter. That was impressive. We do need to raise money to pay for these things. It's the, the advantage that I have coming from a nonprofit is that we can take a longer view of what we do to get to the, what we need to do to get to the place you know, in which it's financially self-supporting. It's not as long as it used to be with uh, radio shows. You know, the, the joke in public radio is that you know, he was an overnight nine-year success. You know, um, and that was sort of the arc for a lot of public radio programs, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. I don't think that's possible to sustain anymore um, in the radio side and, and, and yeah. even in podcasting it's going to be shorter I think yeah I, I also think you know I, there is a movement towards on-demand and uh, digital and I think there was a moment of kind of fear from the station side a little bit oh if everybody's just supporting and giving their money to independent podcasts and they can you know live wherever and listen then how does a local station fit into that and I think there's now a, a growing understanding that oh we could be part of that like as a station we don't have to just be a local terrestrial station we could get in on this game and I think there are some smart stations that are figuring that out and I mentioned yesterday that there are a couple of producers I've talked to in the last month who are partnering with much smaller stations in this country on, on their own podcast. And so I think there is an opportunity. I think, you know, depending on where you are, it's going to, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the fellow who spoke yesterday about his, his workplace not being friendly to his podcast, um, I think they gave him a bad answer. They should have said, well, what is the show about? Does it fit with what we're doing? Uh, they have the studios. Let's do three pilots and see what your idea sounds like, and then try to judge the idea based on its execution. Maybe it needs more. I mean, like that would be that. That's probably the right answer. Yes, everyone is busy. I think it's a terrible answer for a boss to say, uh, "I'm just too busy." When someone in your shop who's truly creative, you know, has an idea, um, but that person has to realize that if it's not the right idea, we can't just keep doing it because, you know, you want to. There's a sort of compromise that has to be reached. Excellent. So I was thinking uh, maybe we could hear from you, Carrie, because a lot of questions came up yesterday that were very specific about, oh, well, how big an audience do I need before sponsors might even be interested in me and so on. And Carrie has actually done a webinar for AIR uh, and also wrote a, a piece for Transom recently, both on this very topic. So I recommend that you look those up as well. Uh, and you also, of course, represent PRX in a larger way and, uh, and you know, your overall mission to 
to rule the world. So um, how, how is it that you want to rule the world in, in this regard? And, and what are you looking for uh, in, in, in this whole field and specifically from people who are maybe interested in making their thing? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I want to say I'm impressed with how many people are here given how many familiar faces I saw on the dance floor very, very <laughs> late at night last night. Thank you all for coming. I don't know how. We didn't talk all night, but somehow I've lost my voice. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a little bit of uh, background. Uh, I've worked for Pyrex since the beginning, and Pyrex was founded in 2003. Thank you. I'm the one person on this panel that has no experience talking into a microphone, so I'll try to do it's my right. best. You're doing good. I'm Probably the only person in this good. room, actually, not just on the panel. Um, so we were founded in 2003 as an open marketplace uh, for independent producers and stations to exchange content. And the, at the time, there was really no financial economy to do this. And the hypothesis was... I see, now I got you two on. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. There you go. I'm so happy to have yeah. a professional. <laughs> I feel so well taken care of. Um, so the hypothesis at the time was that if you make it affordable and easy, uh, program directors at stations would experiment, and they would put new voices on the air, and they would experiment with length and format and style and all this kind of stuff. And that hypothesis has been proven true. So over you know these last 11 years, there's been about 150,000 pieces licensed out of PRX. It was a tremendous volume, and um, roughly two and a half million dollars worth of royalties have gone out into the you know system, and. Just to be fair on that money, uh, you know, that's spread far and wide. So that kind of money wasn't actually ever available. So the nice thing about that level of funding is that, or that level of licensing and, and transactions, is that it was new money. There, you know, at the time, there really weren't content budgets to go to a wide variety of people. So we're, we're really proud of that. And so over the years, PRX has evolved from that exchange into uh, more of a platform for producers and so that they can use that platform to reach audiences through broadcast, through direct to listener, through mobile, through web. And um, we we've really experiment with each one of these platforms and they're all really important. And the economy is still, the financial economy is still heavily weighted toward broadcast. Um, it's changing and evidence of this interesting moment in time is just watching the success of Serial and how, you know, gangbusters it is right out of the gate as a digital offering. And uh, the success of Radiotopia has been amazing. The fact that Alex has a for-profit company in this, and watching Ira Glass on The Tonight Show, I mean, it just, it's, we've been doing this a very long time, this content exchange, and, and um, this is, feels different. It feels like we're in a moment that is, it's not new, but it's moving from uh, niche to more mainstream, which is kind of exciting. Um, so Radiotopia was our experiment. It was, uh, we started it in February of 2013. Uh, there's been seven shows in Radiotopia. We now uh, just announced another handful of others, so there'll be 12. And um, we have raised a couple hundred thousand dollars in sponsorships. Um, we've, we've gotten support from the Knight Foundation, and our Kickstarter campaign is probably, I haven't checked today, but it's probably around 200% of what our goal was. So it's been very, like the amount of attention and love has been just really overwhelming. Um, the way that we designed Radiotopia 
was, uh, so we're not a station, uh, we don't own content. We are a uh, enabler of content, and that's very, it's a very important point to us, because part of our core value is that we have traded control for flexibility and variety. And um, so that feels like that that's our niche that we work within. And so that we enable producers to do what they do best and we do what we do best. And we try to reach audiences on all these ways. And we help networks like Radiotopia and, and all the other successful networks out there are designed to economize those things that are hard to do, and, and that includes sponsorships and PR and marketing. Um, you know, in today's world, everybody has to be an entrepreneur with all that, the stack of all those skills um, altogether, but networks can help make that, you know, a good echo effect uh, across podcasts. And so if we economize those things, then it gives us more opportunity to leverage audience and revenue, because that's actually, that's all, that's, it's as simple as that. We grow audience, we grow revenue. You can't grow revenue without having audience. It's, it's uh, the audience is your currency to be able to monetize. Um, and so, Radiotopia is um, there. There are things about Radiotopia that are uh, sometimes a little bit messy because we we really celebrate the independence of all the shows. They're all a little different. We're not, we don't have a comedy theme or something. You're a little tired of Just being our thing. mother sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it works, and, and that's how PRX is designed, and that's how we designed Radiotopia, and we, we try very hard to learn, apply, pivot, change, <coughs> stretch, grow, and just keep at it. And it is, it is a slow go at first, but, um, but you just have to be very, uh, you know, what Chris said is, is really true. You, you have to be, you have to really uh, want the hunt. You have to be very hungry um, because there, in, for years, the audience to, available to all of you was through an intermediary, and that's not true anymore. And so you have to really develop your ways and your pathways into those audiences. And they will, you know, we're, you are looking for your best fans, not maybe millions of people. You're looking for your, your thousand true fans, your really, your core that you can build. And the story about Hillary is very interesting. I'm fascinated by that Facebook example because I just don't think of Facebook as have like those private rooms that people really engage in. I, I just think it's a really fascinating example. And um, You should so. see her speed dating for mom's events. <laughs> Almost terrifying intensity. Yes, I mean, you know, Carrie and Chris both are talking about how do you support independence and creativity and all of this, but uh, there's also, I think, a reality for everybody, even the nonprofits in this game, that we're thinking there's gonna be money in this, like the, the and and so, Alex, just before you know, and I think well, you'll have a lot of questions for Carrie. I've I never, think I've if, never been the man anymore. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, Why do you need to introduce here. corporate yeah. greed into our yeah, little exactly. lovey dovey public radio world? <laughs> Can you speak for yourself? No, uh, but why, why? Why have you started what you've started? I, I assume most of you are familiar with Alex's uh, fantastic endeavor because it's been chronicled, chronicled been on his show, Startup. Um, but but talk a little bit about why. Yeah, I mean, just in case some people in the audience aren't, I, I've started a for-profit podcasting company, production company slash network. Uh, I, I worked at This American Life for a long time, and then I co-founded Planet Money. And, and out of those experiences, I felt like the time was ripe to 
start this as a for-profit business. Um, and the for-profit business part of it is not the, to me that's not what was the important part. That was just the simplest means to get to what I thought I, I wanted to try to do, which is sort of like bridge the gap a little bit between all these different things that we're all trying to figure out up here. Um, and basically, my, my sort of what, when you see what's happening in, in terms of the most popular podcasts, there are po there are podcasts now that make a lot of money, you know, and that if you get a big audience, you can you can generate a lot of revenue. Um, and uh, and I think we haven't really even fully figured out how how. I think we can. We're not generating as much revenue as we could, um, and I'm not talking about like icky things like, you know, boy, I sure do enjoy a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Uh, I'm talking about, um, although I do enjoy a Dunkin' Donuts, and Dunkin' Donuts is paying me to be here. Uh, You've changed. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I've changed because of the delicious yeah, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Uh, um, but uh, but <clears throat> I think there's a lot to be done around. You know, just one of the most salient features that I think exists in podcasting is is this is this intense relationship between the podcast yeah. producer and the and the audience, and um, and there's you know the the crude way of putting it is there's ways to monetize that relationship. The 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 friendly way to put it is that you know the producers know their audience, know what their audience wants, can produce other experiences that their audience can would be possibly want to pay for. Um, and like to me, the main, sort of the big light bulb moment for me was the Planet Money t-shirt project that we did, where we were did this project where we made a t-shirt, we went around the world and made a t-shirt, and uh, documented the making of that t-shirt, and then we sold the t-shirt to our audience. And a lot of people bought that t-shirt, and it wasn't because they wanted a t-shirt. They bought it because they were intrigued as we were by the by the idea, they loved the idea like we did. We were really excited about it. Our audience was really excited about it. And the t-shirt was like an access point to participate in that experience together. Um, and I think that's something that's utterly replicable. And so um, so, so that's, that's the thinking. And what I've noticed is that the, but you also need, there's some raw numbers. You need a level of frequency and you need a level of production uh, and you need a level of, you know, sort of like excellence, <laughs> and excellence is is takes time and it takes people, uh, and so that's why I started. Um, that's why I wanted to do this as a as a for profit company because it felt like I can, it, in a weird way, that might be the easiest way to raise the capital necessary to pay people to actually produce the content, um, and so that's our bet is that if we can if we can if we can actually hire people and pay them a salary to produce these you know, what needs to be weekly programs, um, that then those programs will start to pay for themselves and more. Um, and it's a little scary, you know, it's like, it's fully, it's, it is the, it is the, and that is the, that is not, that is like, um, that's a very for-profit model, right? You're taking risk, you're literally putting your capital at risk because you don't know if this is gonna work. You're gonna spend the money and then hopefully the money will come back greater than what you spent. Uh, it's pretty simple, but it's like, that's, so, uh, so that's what we're doing. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted, the other thing that I was trying to do was I felt like, um, for me, it's, it is hard to do it alone. You know, and it is like I've been up on these stages, and I've said to people like, you know, the time is ripe to do your own thing, and and that it's absolutely true. Like I think people do. We've seen it. You know, we've seen people sort of come out of you know start from 
you know, nowhere. But they often have a, some kind of perch. You know, right. I think even right. like Roman had like, you know, had a home and, you know, Jad had a home and Ira had a home. They had like some sort of thing that was like where they were, where they, where they were able to launch from. Um, and so that's also what I'm trying to do is sort of optimize that and sort of be that place where you can, you can have your perch and you can launch from there and, and, and will be support in, in both in terms of trying to figure out how to op monetize, trying to figure out like editorially, helping, you know, helping figure out like how to make it great. The, the other thing that I've noticed from all my time doing this is that everybody's first draft always sucks all the time, no matter who you are. Yeah. And you need time built in to your production schedule to make the thing that you're doing better. And it's not going to be, you can't just, there's this, I think, a little bit of a myth that you, you, you there's like this, these people, you know, great talent emerges fully formed when you, you know, without, you know, and, and is able to just do it, you know, and there's like the skilled individual is, is this myth. And I, I think there's definitely talent and there's definitely stuff that works and stuff that doesn't work. And I'm looking for that. I'm looking, and what are you looking yeah. for? Can you speak to that a little bit? What well, are the things you consider when you say, should I have this person develop a show for me or... I, I, that's really a, a good question that I'm trying to work through right now, you know? And I think w one of the, like, part of it is, like, a feeling, you know? And part of it is, does there, is something about what I'm hearing feel new and fresh and different? Uh, part of it is, we need numbers. Like, we're, you know, that's the other thing, is that, like, we need, I think, you, you're absolutely correct. Like, when you're talking about, like, how do you make this sustainable as a business? You do need an audience, and so we, we need something that will be that is uh, at least you know repeatable, at least on a weekly basis, and um, and is and is um, accessible to you know a wide enough possible audience that like over a hundred thousand people would want to listen to it. Um, you took a little bit of a different approach to that, yeah. Carrie, right? Well, you, you, you we, took all the weird kids. We did. We did. Um, I'm not saying no weird kids, by the way, at all. I think everybody's, I think Howard Stern started as a weird kid, you but, know, and now he has like 500 million people listening to him. So but, like, I don't Leah's think that's, right. yeah. We, we did, um, when we started, that whole thing about like trading uh, control for, uh, flexibility. We did start that, but I will say that one of the uh, significant lessons that's come out of doing Radiotopia for a year is that frequency really does matter. You can't. It's very hard to build audience with an infrequent production and 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 have them stay. And then the the second let we I get this question all the time. Like, how do I how do I monetize my podcast? What's the minimum number of downloads I need to be able to do that? And um, we. Tell people like really anything below twenty thousand. Don't really even bother. That's that, and that's probably don't on bother the, what don't uh, well don't, don't bother stressing about how you're going to get sponsors on that podcast. It's just it's just a really small grow audience first. The money will come and, and pay attention to frequency regularity. You know that same um, stuff that is important to a job at a station. That you know production schedule. It it, it just also translates to being an independent. And the, um, and the second thing that I think is something that we all struggle with, and, and Alex said it right with his Dunkin' Donuts example, which is that the, for sponsorships, the, the read matters. It really matters. And we have a, we, what we like to say in Radiotopia is that we produce everything well, everything, ev the sponsorships, everything. Sometimes we're, we do that well. Sometimes we fall short of our own ambitions on that. 
but think of sponsors, potential sponsors, as business partners, not as donors, who are like tacking something onto your content. Or the worst scenario of that is thinking of sponsorships as taking away from the aesthetic of your art. That, that's, a, that's an attitude that will hold you back. And I think that it's really important to open up your thinking on that, uh, be creative about relevant sponsors to your content that matter, you know, people who matter to you, like whether it's a parenting or whether it's art and but design if, or... But if, you, if you're approaching the station, you do have to realize that they're working in a, in a very in a non-commercial environment. And even though the FCC isn't regulating those messages that, on the podcast, matters. we have to be brand consistent, right? So we can't do what Mark Marin does really, really well on his podcast. I, I can't have Brian Lehrer reading those kinds of messages at the start of his show or Manoush. Adam and um, Eve. From, yeah, that's <laughs> I'm just it. imagining Adam, Brian Lehrer reading an Adam and Eve commercial. Yeah. <laughs> he really loves Stamp.com. Yeah. <laughs> but on this point, Carrie and, and Alex, of uh, you, ha you know, having to perch and how great that is and how important it is to have at least 20,000 and preferably many, many more and do it all the time, I, I would just like to say to this group that I think you're not all going to have that perch if you're interested in starting something. And yesterday we had three panelists who didn't have that at all when they started and um, and that you know you're not gonna and, and, and Nick Vanderkoek said yesterday on the panel he said you know people always say like how do I find money and how do I find an audience and he's like just start doing it before mm -hmm. you can answer those questions and I think sure. there's a lot to be said for that because you can't sit in your bedroom and figure out how to grow an audience you can sit in your bedroom and actually produce a podcast yeah. and if you're willing to work incredibly hard and make no money you can do it well alone, and and uh, and then I think the audience will come and the interest yeah. will come. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, you know, just to say the other side of it is that I, I don't think that should hold you back if you're not one of Alex's six or well, Radiotopias. And and yeah, so I, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't just say something like so. I'm looking at it like you know, what, however many people there are, hundred people, and like we need. So we're we're launching three shows. If all goes well, we're going to launch three or four more the next year we're going to launch you know four or five or six more the next year like who knows you know how many shows that we're going to end up launching if if we're a successful ongoing concern which i very much hope we are uh so and so i'm looking at all of you and i'm like who maybe one of you is the next host and i can't i, I don't know and i can't tell and like so so if there's um like, like we're not the launching pad in that way. We're like sort of the second stage, I would right. say. And the way that, so to me, you know, I think the the advice that we're giving about sort of making a podcast an ongoing concern is is relevant to some people who are out there and have a pretty good audience. It might not be relevant to the people who are like, I think I'm good at this and I've not really done it very much before. Right. For you people, I feel like just. Take, a, take six months, take two months, take five months, whatever it is, and do something that you're really proud of and you think is really good and play it for your friends over and over again and make sure that it's not boring and like try to just wow somebody. And then that's the way that you sort of like, there's that's actually, the way you'll get discovered, I guess, sort of. Uh, yeah. There's Alex Kaplman, who's in the audience, uh, has been a per diem on about seven different WNYC shows, I think, Alex, something like that, worked on Soundcheck. And he's a musician, and he just, he went and took the, the, Transom Workshop, I think, in April. Was that right? And then began a very good show, uh, if you haven't heard it before, called Pitch. That's yeah. really little stories about music. And uh, I think he's sort of a living example of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many right now, right? And I think, you know, you can sometimes... 
Alex, maybe also you coming out of this American life and having the support, like being launched in that way of sort of Ira saying, this is great, you should all listen, look what Alex has gone and done. And there might be a little bit of a like, well, but if I'm not best friends with Ira Glass, like how do I ever find an audience? And I think on a smaller scale, you know, sometimes Ira is referred to as like the Oprah's book club of podcasting. And I <laughs> people feel that way, like, wow. And I, but I chair. also have come to realize that like people sometimes feel that way a little bit about Radiotopia, like, oh, isn't it nice for all the cool kids that they all got together and started a club, but like, what do I do? But my, like, when I, and I actually, when I went into the first Radiotopia meeting almost exactly a year ago today before we launched, and I was like, these are all the cool kids, like, wh why am I here? Like, because <laughs> I, I hadn't been doing it very long, and I was so super intimidated, and and so maybe all of us actually felt that way, and the point is that I didn't, I, I felt like, I've just started doing this and I'm still just figuring it out. And, and, and I think if you do that, people will take note if it's good and that you can, um, you might not feel like one of the cool kids, but you might suddenly find a community of other people who are doing it and they might take an interest in you. And so, yeah, I think, but I think there is a little bit of a problem in there maybe for some people in, in this question of like, can you just, yeah, can you do it all by yourself? Um, I think it's really hard, even yeah. for the best. Yeah. I, I just think that um, it's there's you know there's so many it, there's a different skill set for each of the things you need. There's an accounting skill set. There's a marketing skill set. There's a sponsorship, selling you know there's grant sometimes grant fundraising. There's there and there's actually producing the awesome shows. So it is, it, it covers such a wide range that the um, that the collections, the growing number of networks. Uh, stations being hubs, other organizations being hubs, really provide um, a, a platform for, you know, really combining those skills into people who do them well. So, the, I should yeah. say the best ones also uh, do are really engaged with their own audiences. I mean, Anna Sale is reading the inbox of Death, Sex, and Money and forwarding emails to me all week and all weekend long, and she writes back to all those people. And I know that the other hosts I work with really take that responsibility of communicating back to the audience seriously. And I think that's actually an instrumental way to grow what you're doing. Yeah, there's a, there's a now that I'm in this world, I know, I, I quote legendary entrepreneurs, uh, and there's a legendary entrepreneur <laughs> named Paul Graham <laughs> who says uh, that in the beginning you do things that don't scale. Uh, and that includes right. answering every single email you get right. until the point where hopefully... You're Does he work for Dunkin' Donuts? Do yes, okay. uh, Paul Graham. Yeah, also a fan of Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but could before we open it up to questions, which we will soon, could could you also just speak a little bit to this? Why is all of this happening? Like, what what's the what's the development that's happening? And and you said it doesn't Benghazi. really matter. That it's Benghazi. <laughs> well, everything goes back to Benghazi. Clearly, but I was going like, to say Gamergate. But <laughs> like, what what yeah. do you see as the as the future of radio in the context of, of what is happening with digital and podcasting and uh, what's the, like what are the things that are going to change what's the opportunity and why I mean, for a profit even though you said that doesn't really matter but I think it's significant on some level because it's very un unusual in well, public radio uh, it's unusual in public I mean so the for profit for me was simply it's simpler you know to start a not for profit is a lot of work and you have to sort of make an, a claim that you're doing something that is, you know, purely in the public interest and cannot be, you know, sort of that, 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 that cannot 
necessarily sustain in in a in a profitable way and and that didn't feel true to me you know like to me it feels like there are they they are profitable now if you get them to the right size they're these are profitable sort of concerns and so I was that and it was just like it's a lot less work frankly to set up a, a for-profit entity than a not-for-profit entity despite uh, all the work yeah, we've heard yeah. you do <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so um so so that was for me the, the reason and I think also I wanted um I worked in not-for-profits for a long time and and I feel like there's uh I think in the beginning it made a lot more sense when there's this spectrum and it was a limited spectrum and not everybody you know you had to there's that was the only way to hear sounds through your ears you know was through the spectrum and that that was a narrow band and so they made this it made this sort of sense that like you know so that, that some part of that band should be reserved for the public yeah um and i'm purely digital right so i don't there's not any access issues and so so to me it just made more sense yeah, it's yeah. Techn technology. I mean, yeah. stations are no longer the uh, primary path to audiences. There's lots of other opportunities. It's, so it's purely yeah. an access issue. Yeah, and, and to, the answer to why now, I think, is entirely, it's like two things. It's smartphones and, and then, I think, soon cars. Cars are, cars are, now people are starting to sync their phones right now, and soon there's going to be in-dash systems. And so the habits that everybody, that the, the Public, that radio itself was built on the commute um, is changing, and I think it's going to be going more on demand, and so that's that's a huge driver for public broadcasters. I think there's been a strange arc. Uh, when I was a kid listening to my public radio station, they would there be the the French language hour, and then Dixieland jazz, and then music from Sub-Saharan Africa, and like you would never know what you were going to get at any time of day because it was trying to serve everybody individually in that community to the degree that they could one hour at a time, very inefficient. Then everything sort of consolidated, stations sort of assumed very uniform formats for the most part across the country. Now you have an opportunity to go back to doing music from sub-Saharan Africa if you want to. And you can find someone who's a really great DJ at that and create a channel for it. And I think it's a, it is another opportunity for us to do greater public service while still continuing to do things like, well, when there's a hurricane, we have to throw all the reporters out there and make sure that people know where they can get food and shelter. Right, that's part of our mission. We're we're tied to doing those things, uh, and we that's why we work. And those things are incredibly valuable. Like I don't think nothing ever goes away. You know, people right. continue to listen in the way they've right. been listening. Right, shelf life. Yeah. Shelf yeah. Life. And you know, I mentioned it casually earlier, but it really is an impressive moment watching. You know, Jimmy Fallon interview Ira. Ira showing a full video of his 85-year-old neighbor on how to get. A, I mean, it's like. Game yeah. over. I mean, like talk about mainstreaming, and that's a that's a that is a technological and content moment that that is good for all of us. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break to try to convince you to subscribe to our other podcast, uh, which you should do. But we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Chicago's Progressive Radio Adventures. This American Life. Am I right? The show about all the unseen. Are you tired of endlessly searching for good radio stories? Or maybe feeling overwhelmed by the amount of podcasts filling up your feed? This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumran. Well, worry no more, because Third Coast has you covered. I'm Gwen Maxi, host of Third Coast podcast, Resound. Resound is a themed, hour-long mix of the best in radio and podcasting from the past and present. 
we've been carefully curating nothing but the best stories from around the world since 2004. And we have a treasure trove of amazing audio. Each episode is bound to have something to fit every listener's individual taste. Personal stories, essays, sound art, mystery stories that twist and turn, and other audio experiments. So stop searching. Subscribe to ReSound today and treat yourself to the finest stories ever told in sound. Your ears will thank us. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. I think we should take some questions from you guys, cause, and you can point them to a, a specific person, or you could, uh, but please line up at the mic, yes, because they want to capture it. I had a quick question, because I'm interested, but I'm still in the category of like, I don't know, I need to figure this out, but a friend of mine's trying to launch one very hyper-local in Albuquerque. Is that scalable? Is that just going to be his hobby? I don't know. What do you think? It all depends on what it's about, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, this is one of the, like right right now, I've, I've never done, done this before, so I don't. <laughs> I, I don't That's know. why we're up here. I, I'm not a businessman, <laughs> really. Uh, so uh, so I, like that is one of the, my key questions: is sort of like what, how big do you need the audience to get? How efficient can we be? Like you know, there's this metric, you know, uh, you know, revenue per per listener per year, right? And like what if 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 Right now, what is what is the metric? I don't know, like three different two bucks, show, three bucks, or something like that. Can you get it to ten bucks? Can you get it to twenty bucks? Can you get it to fifty bucks? If you can get your revenue for, per listener per year to fifty bucks, then you can do a really hyper local show because you don't need that many people. But and is that like revenue, like paying for downloads or getting sponsors? No, it's everything. It's everything. Right. So like, so donors, the, donors, yeah. sponsors, like any sort of like you know audience engagement things and everything you know like referrals to Amazon and stuff like that. So. Changing your couch. Right. And, yeah. your, and your, your friends should check out other people who are doing that, like uh, Curious City here in Chicago is a yeah, good example. Go. Yeah. Hi, Claire Schoen. I'm an independent producer, and I have a question about growing audience. Um, so as an indie trying to get stuff on radio, broadcast, the goal has always been those 350 more or less PDs who control about 700 talk radio stations. You have to get to that 350. Now we have to get to... Uh, X number of individuals and you know everyone says social media yes Twitter is important Facebook is important getting Ira to, talk, to mention you on his on his show is gold um, even if you're part of Radiotopia or you know part of a network you still 
you know, have to do that outreach. And I wonder what are the creative ideas you have for, you know, you say, uh, make it and they will come. <laughs> but I, I wonder what you do to get them to know to go to that place and click that button. Well, one of the things that we, uh, a, a visual that we describe at PureX is sometimes reaching the broadcast audience, which is by far the largest bubble, is like reaching audience through a cocktail straw. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like because it's such a narrow amount of uh, decision makers. Um, but one of the advice that we give is to find uh, other people who are in adjacent spaces working on your content, uh, bloggers, et cetera, uh, and you need to be out talking to them, you need to have them on your show, and you need to like really leverage their audiences to bring more ears to your work. That's yeah. just one idea. I'm sure these guys have others. I mean, I think also, I, I, you know, part of it is um, there's things that you can do. There's like, there's no, there's things that you can do on, you know, sort of like that, like, you know, trying to share, you know, become active on social media, all that sort of stuff. And then a question for me that, that I, that I'm always wondering about is sort of like, just what works editorially? Right. Why Absolutely. do certain why do you want to listen to certain shows and you don't want to listen to other shows? And why, what is the difference? And I don't know. You know, I've been, you know, I've produced shows that have become successful that people want to listen to and I don't exactly know why some of them find an audience and, and go up there and some of them don't. And that is like, and so part of it is sort of like, you know, let's say you have a, a story that you think would be great on Planet Money. Planet Money always needs material, always, right? Like they're like trying to put out two shows a week, you yeah. know? Um, and if they say no, Find out why, you know, like what was it that didn't work or whatever. And that's, I'm just using Planet Money yeah. as an example that I know, but like whatever, you know. Um, because part of the question is sort of like what social media buttons do I push? And part of the question is sort of what am I doing with my material that is, that is, that is not making it as engaging as it could be? And I think that's a, a big question. Uh, just to add to the editorial point, um, Anna and the folks on Death, Sex, and Money, we sit and talk regularly about how we can strategize in the guest booking. We do want to talk to everyday people who have stories about death, sex, and money, but we also uh, want to talk to some very well-known people, Jane Fonda, because that helps draw people who might otherwise never try your show to see what it's about. And mm -hmm. it's, you have to be really conscious about the people you put in your show, whether it's other podcasters, which is also an excellent strategy, people you like who you're friends with, because um, they'll, uh, I guess a, a terrible word for it would be log rolling. Um, but it is actually you know, helping each other grow each other's audiences. Yeah, I would say in my experience, I mean, KCRW and I really didn't know how to promote the show at all, and I, there was no on-air component to my show, and it's not like WNYC where I, like, I'm a guest on other shows, and they're really just like, they give me some money and some support, and, and it's great, but we had no idea how to do it, and I would say some of the things that have worked for me and also for others I know in this world is, yeah, try to get stories on other, on, on actual radio shows, and then have them plug your podcast, talk to other podcasters, but not in this annoying way when people are <laughs> tweeting at me and they're like, hey, you should check out my show. Yeah. Like, try to, you know, I feel like try to reach out to others who are doing it, but more in a kind of, hey, can I get your help? I mean, I felt early on, I, I, I didn't know Roman Mars at all, and it was before he was kind of a, a superstar, but, you know, I was like, hey, how are you doing this? Like, are you making any money? Like, what? And he was like, yeah, I'll talk to you, you know, uh, and uh, I, Joe Richmond talked to me for an hour, and like, I was like, wow, this world of public radio, like, everybody's so nice and want to help, and I think they do, but not if you do it in that icky promotional, like, <laughs> check out my show 
show, but yeah. more in this like, hey, I'm just getting started. I could use some advice or like, hey, you have another tiny podcast, but I think it's cool. Can we talk? And there's a lot of community because there is this kind of indie love, you know, despite Alex okay. wanting to now disrupt that with corporate. You know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, that message brought to you by Duncan. No yeah. judgment. Uh, the, the, the one other thing I would say is sort of like be helpful to the people who like everybody, including this American Life, the most sort of well-funded program out there. Everybody who's doing something on a weekly basis, which you have to do, is freaking out every week. You know, and like is like, oh my God, another one. We just got finished with that one. We got to do the, the next one. And like that is every single person who is, you know, has achieved some success in this world has that particular freak out. And if you can help them with a quality something that is something that they would want to put on, you know, that is going to be that's that's oh. that's going to be gold. Yeah. I know that there's questions. I just want to add one practical tip here. Um, is that PRX runs a program called Second Ear, and uh, Erica, who works on our Remix channel, um, and another woman, uh, they'll take your piece and they'll sort of run it through a process of uh, re, you know, suggesting how to maybe change your narrative, and they test things like titles and metadata, and like sort of do a whole scrubbing and uh, test different things. And one of the shows that we worked on this year won a Third Coast Award. So we were like, so like getting some, it's a, it's a free, free program. You can stop by the PRX booth and ask, but that, that, that kind of external feedback really helps. Win awards. Win awards mm -hmm. helps audience yes. like Third Coast. <laughs> but like, yeah, I haven't really award. had time to ever pitch to other shows, even though everybody was like, you got, I'm giving this advice. I haven't really had time to do it. Sometimes my stuff is aired on other shows, but I've almost never had the time to pitch it. And I have, uh, and almost never had the time to like submit for awards and like I just haven't had the time so the other thing I would like I put all of my focus into just doing it and then I was like you know I have to choose here a little bit right because I do have to raise some money and I do have to like keep up with Facebook and Twitter and I also have to produce the show entirely by myself and and I put content first and I think we had a little bit of a debate yesterday and to Carrie's frequency point I just want to say yeah it's like this is what everyone in the business will tell you always that regularity is God and frequency is God but I think you don't don't put it out if it's bad. Like, then I would say it's better not to do it. And I think there are people like Nate DeMeo, who is extreme in this sense. He, you know, he has the podcast of Memory Palace, which is fantastic. And he joined Maximum Fund and they said, look, you're going to have to do it monthly. And he was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do it monthly. And it's like three minutes. But he agreed to it for six months. And he agreed to it for six months. And then he was like, look, I can stay in your network, but I cannot do monthly. Like, it's just too much for me. And, and so now he puts up one three-minute story and then like three months go by and he puts up another one but it's so good that he still has a, a pretty sizable audience and we I just agreed to go bi-weekly and it might like screw everything up but Nick was like Vander Koch who was here yesterday was like he's like I, I'm not doing it we don't have the capacity to do that right now and so I think take all of these things with a grain of salt these guys are of course thinking about like what do advertisers ask for and it's very helpful to know that but don't feel like if you can't produce your show weekly that then you shouldn't do it or that if you can do it weekly but it's going to suck that you should do that I think you should make it good first. I think that's really, in the end, the only, like being part of Radiotopia has been huge for me. Until then, it was more of a slower build, but it was still like the people who found it liked it, and then they told other people. And I think that if it's, if it's, if, pe if people connect with it, then that will happen, but it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should get to yeah. questions. Yeah. 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 Hi. Uh, my name is Carolina Guerrero from Radio Ambulante. Uh, my question, I have two actually for, for Alex, is the first one is very specific. Um, can you please describe me percentage 
percentages of, of your the money that people have invested on your business um where does it come from like if it's like a, a venture debt if it's like a impact investment if you have like some grant capacity uh, building grants or like uh, advertisers like if you can divide like uh, give us an idea about and the second one is like how do you use disruptive technology i mean like because in one of your episodes uh, so one investor told you like oh you should change the the podcast is yeah. obsolete no so uh -huh. uh, we're doing great in the united states but in latin america people don't have the culture of the podcast and i'm trying to come out with like some disruptive yeah. technology too well so yeah. it's, it's interesting that you I'm, I'm i have this call with this guy Oscar, I think it's Gustafsson or something. He's he's from Swedish, and apparently he sent me. He was like, I represent the two the the, the two biggest podcasters in Sweden. And recently, we were they just did a, a show in front of, uh, I think it was sixteen thousand people. It was a live podcast, and he sent me the picture, and it's like these two guys on a little stage, and it's like literally, <laughs> it's like the Rolling Stones style, and like people just watching them do their podcast. So it podcasting is very different different places. So I'm gonna talk to him. Uh, so, uh, but um. Uh, so um, the first question, the, it's uh, we're, it's all investor. So it's basically it's what it's called. It's called a convertible note, which is it, you don't have to get into it. It's basically like uh, they give us money and um, and it will eventually convert into equity. So and right, so we're getting 1.5 million dollars, and that will eventually convert into essentially 15 uh, percent of the. That it's well, it's VC, it's investor money. So VC is like now I know a, a sort of a specific subset of investment that is not. So we have a couple of VCs, but mainly it's like mainly it's individuals and, and other people. But it's mainly individuals, a, a little bit of VC money, um, and you know like the Knight Venture fund, Enterprise Fund is investing some money, and so. But but nobody, everybody is like uh, at the hundred thousand level or below essentially. So. And a hundred thousand buys you essentially one percent. So that's 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 what it is. Um, yeah. Um, and then, what was the second one? Sorry. Technology. Oh yeah. So the technology one. That's a, that is a big question. And and for us, it's like it goes back and forth about. Part of the thing to really, really, I think, engage the audience in the way that you want it to be engaged. There, I think there might have to be a tech solution there, like where at least for your for your main. Um, for your main listeners who are going to be like the premium subscribers or whatever, the people who want more and are looking for bonus content and stuff like that, I think it, it's now looking. We go back and forth, and we don't know. But but I think there's there's no question that if 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 we don't do a new solution, somebody will eventually do a new solution that is different than what exists right now. Um, and I think everybody up mm -hmm. here and everybody in this world is thinking and talking about what what that solution should be, um, and we are as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Hey, I'm Alex from Pitch. Thank you for, for the shout out, Chris. Um, and if actually, if anyone is thinking about starting anything up, um, I'm happy to tell you about how I did it. Um, but so I actually did want to talk about frequency with you guys because I listen to Serial, as I'm sure most people do. I listen to Serial and Wait, I love it. What's that? <laughs> it's a uh, what goes, by Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, it goes well with that Dunkin' Donuts yeah. coffee, actually. Um, but you know, I listen to it and I think like this is this is meant to be binge listened to and like I you know I speak to my friends and they you know they all say I want to binge this and you know whatever and you look at like 
you, they don't say that because that's not how you speak. But, um, right. <laughs> uh, Dude, but like, I'm totally gonna binge that yeah. podcast. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, or you look at like you know Netflix is doing that with all their shows. You know, and, and House of Cards gets a ton of press and a lot of attention and um, fanfare. So, when when thinking about like revenue per listener per year, if that's if that's really something that's important, like, I wonder how much. Like how many more listeners would listen to the first episode of Serial and then listen to the second episode and stay with it versus the people who you lose from the first week to the second week? Do you know? Do you know what I'm trying well, to say? Well, Serial's like, a cliffhanger, though, so right. it's built to be consumed that way. I think some shows are discrete things, and you move from one to the next, you know, in the normal course of your life. Yeah, I mean, like I haven't started watching Breaking Bad because now now it, now now it is like now I can't now it's like okay well that's gonna take uh, you know like a solid week of my life that I don't have yeah. but I want to desperately and and so I think you run into that problem um, but uh, I, I think I think that there's like Serial is one of those classic ones where like you know they were working on that for a year uh, and, and like three of the most talented people in the entire system and the most expensive people in the entire system working on that for a year and then it's going to come out and so so there like that that has to be a different model um and i'm not sure what that model is but i think i think there's going to be other other like right now the model is we, it needs to be a weekly show and it needs to be frequency because like if it comes out every two weeks you make literally half as much money right. as if it comes out every week right so so that's pretty straightforward um, but I think as we get more into it and again this is where the technology thing could be you know if if, if Serial was like you heard the first episode and like you were like oh my god and then you were like okay if you want to hear the rest it's twelve ninety nine. I think people would have been like that's fine I'm you know, like a bunch, it wouldn't have been a million people, but it would have been a lot of people, and it might have been more. So I, that's a that's a model, maybe. I don't know. Like, uh, so, yeah. some the the math is is accurate. You know, twice as often, and um, make twice the money. Um, but the uh, the we uh, when we started Radiotopia, both Theory of Everything and Love and Radio were produced extremely infrequently, a, a handful in a year. And those two shows have quadrupled their audiences since February. Part of it is the cross-promotion, the fanfare about Radiotopia, with no doubt. Part of it is because they had a disengaged fan base mm -hmm. that was re-engaged already. And, and I have to say that frequency was one of those things I didn't think a lot about before we started Radiotopia, and I think about it all the time now. Um, there's a lot of noise out there. There's, yeah. there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts. There's millions of people. 75 million people are listening to podcasts. You've got to cut through the noise. You've got to be, you got to show up. You've got to be there regularly. And if that regularly is once a month, that's fine. But do it regularly. Do it predictably. So have people be uh, wanting to make that appointment with you. So, mm -hmm. Good. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ashley Milne-Tite and I host a podcast about women in the workplace called The Broad Experience. And this is really more, it's almost, speaking to your point, Kerry, about sponsorship, it's almost more of a note of encouragement to people in the room than a question, but I know the sort of received wisdom is that you need maybe 20, 25,000 listeners to gain sponsorship, but I have fewer than 10,000 listeners to my show and every single one of them has been hard won and I'm incredibly grateful because I am doing all this on my own. I don't have the backing of a station, I, I don't have Ira Glass talking about me, and it's really hard, but the I just negotiated a deal with the Financial Times recently where they're, they call it actually a partnership, they don't want to use the word sponsorship, and they're 
partnering with me on three shows for real grown-up money. And then I had Foreign Affairs magazine come to me um, for much more typical money for my listenership. You know, it's just a few hundred dollars a show. But it's something, and I think there are other routes to sponsorship. And the reason these two um, entities came to me in the FT's case, they have very few female readers during the week. They really want to up their female readership. And they're also experimenting with multimedia, and same with foreign affairs. It's so it's a good point. The part, the 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 sponsors that you will keep, and move like you'll get to a certain point where those metrics really matter. They're looking for customers. You got to deliver customers. But there's a, a whole lot of fans. They're, your fans, your our business owners too. They're going to be your best first sponsors. We we have. Uh, we try to get launch sponsors for shows. We have no audience to prove, but we have what we think are relevant. Um, topic tie-ins that work. The Heart has been really good at getting it, that too. Ashley, you should pitch those sponsors on doing live events because your show has a really strong, clear idea, and I bet they would love to have a room full of people who are interested in what you're doing. Right. And that's a place where you could produce a lot more revenue relative to the number of people who are listening to your podcast. Yeah. No, I just I just wanted to make the point for people in the room who are starting something that are oh, there are different ways into totally. this. Right. It's not always about spot the kind like Squarespace who no longer will sponsor my show because they've gone up Correct. to we'll only Correct. take twenty five thousand listeners. Right. Just some rules but, of thumb. Yeah. And then there's lots of variety. Right yeah. Now. Especially Absolutely. if you're it's producing especially on a topic where yeah. that's aligned with what Correct. somebody else is interested in. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's a very easy buy at, at, at a certain level where, where, like, so in a certain way, if you're making that pitch, it's not like for a corporation, the, you know, it's a, it's a ton of money to do for them, but it's a ton of money for you as an independent producer, and, and they're, yeah, it's, I, think, I think, and I've seen that happen a bunch of times where, like, people make these specific tailored pitches to, to people or people find them, um, and it's not the normal sponsors, and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. On yesterday's panel, Hillary Frank talked about how she was able to get sponsorship and actually do a Kickstarter where she called companies and said, will you support my Kickstarter and I will mention you on the show and was able to tie those two together, which was a really smart thing to do, but also was able to do that in part because she has a show that has a very specific topic, right, of parenting. And so it was like literally calling baby formula companies and you should be aware of that, that if if you have a specific topic, you're going to have an easier time finding sponsors when you're smaller because they will there will be a natural fit. Yeah. Well, and it's all relation, all relationship based. So, yes. an important thing for you to think about as you do grow is how you transition those early ones into maybe something that is more of a, a standard business arrangement. And some of them will stay, and some of them won't, and they'll go on to the next beginner thing. So. Hi, I'm Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. I'm executive producer of Outer Voices. And I have a very specific, simple question for you, Chris. I want, well, maybe it's two questions. Um, I wonder what the value is for a station in bringing in podcasts. Like, what's the actual value? Um, and I also wonder if you can explain what the dynamic is, what your relationship is between the station and the podcast producer. I don't think there's a specific answer to your first question. Each one is really, really different. I mean, it, I think you can do our business a lot of different ways. You can be hands-off and ha- be Earwolf and have 30 uh, broadcasts, people doing pretty much what they do, and you just help them sell the underwriting, the advertising, and, and let it go. Um, the shop that I work in is very hands-on. It's sort of the public radio way, so um, I'm very involved 
editorially with all the shows that I work on. Um, they, they range in scale from Freakonomics, that's the largest, Freakonomics Radio is the largest one that I manage, uh, down to some of the newer, I, I launched a tiny podcast, a comedy podcast called Lies this fall. That's really just a, 12 episodes and I don't know where it's going to go. But um, I, I think uh, you have to sort of scale your approach to what the person really needs, I, at least that's my my philosophy, and if they don't really need you every day uh, in their editorial business, they really need help with the promotion, the marketing, the sort of the business side, then that's where I try to, to help them. I guess I'm trying to ask a more really basic question, sure. which is why... I forgot what I was saying. No, it's, it's okay. So it's, I did too. But um, <laughs> why, would, why does a radio station go to podcasting? Why, well, why did you... Why, it, yeah. It's audio. I mean, it's what we do. You know, I don't. Uh, I think when we decided to do podcasting, 2004 maybe, uh, it was a way to get more people in front of the stuff that we make. It was a way to circumvent uh, the networks and distribution middlemen and talk to our audience directly. We raise money directly through the podcasts. We don't. Uh, you may decide to listen to the fundraising episode of Radio Lab a year and a half after that episode was put out there, and they, you may decide to send us $25. Um, it, it, it's going to break us, I hope, of the pledge drive cycle and of a lot of other things that are you know, legacies of having to have a radio station. Um, it allows you to experiment. Doing, doing something like Serial, I think, is great. It's wonderful to do a show that you may decide to stop after 12 episodes. Right? We've been building things in public radio that have to run for 25 years in order for them to pay That's them true. back to pay back the organization. That's, um, that's a lot of work. Um, it's a chance to have people you've never really tried out before do things. Right. And there's not, there aren't the FCC rules. I, some of my hosts can swear if they want to. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a lot of, it's also, it's a lot of that's fun. That's probably the main reason. Honestly. You get to swear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's really helpful because yeah. I know that there are a number of podcasters, myself included, who are trying to Figure out affiliations with stations, and so you just gave us. Start talking our to pitch. them. Find, yeah, yeah. F t take the program director out to lunch because they'll always talk to you if you buy them lunch, um, <laughs> and and really like find out what are they concerned, what are they trying to do that they can't accomplish, right? They all have things they want to do. I know from sitting in that chair that they don't ever find time for that are related to their audience, and if you can help them do that, if you can take one of their ideas and make it better and execute it, then you have a relationship. Hi, um, I'm Sydney. Uh, no podcast just yet, but we'll see. Um, so I guess, yeah, I found this panel, you know, quite encouraging. And also, of course, there's certain discouraging elements to it. And um, just wondering if we could get a little bit more into something. I guess it, it reminds me quite a bit of, like, conversations about the music industry, you know, and sort of, like, the decline of major record labels and sort of losing that kind of incubation opportunity for artists. And now kind of, you know, certain people are able to do independent things, you know, controversies about streaming and whether or not rev that's a legitimate re or sustainable revenue source. And um, yeah, I, I think PRX is a great organization, but I guess if I heard you, the numbers you quoted, I think it worked out to about eighteen fifty one or $18.51 per story if it was two and a half million. Well, the range is great. Yeah. And the range is great. Yeah. Like average, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess I don't know if there are like lessons from other industries that have sort of informed some of the choices you're making or directions you're looking or just other kind We're of We're giving up things. on the 78 RPM format. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think, I, I, I think uh, comparing us to the music industry sort of is uh, 
vastly underestimating exactly how much money the music industry used to make. Right. Uh, and and so I think I, I think I, I to me I feel like every other industry is now moving towards public radio, um, in that everybody now is giving away their content for free. And everybody has to figure out a way to get people to pay for that content that they can get otherwise mm -hmm. for free. Um, and so in a certain way, I think coming out of the tra tradition that we come out of, that's not a surprise to us. And we're not like mad about it. And we're not like, what the? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just pay you're supposed to pay for it. And like for us, it's like, no, no, no you've right. never paid for it. And we've always had to try to get you to pay for it. Uh, so in a certain way, we're better off. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been singing that song. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and and I think we've been pretty bad in public radio at actually doing it well. Yes. Um, and even our bad efforts, like when I, now that I've been sort of going out into the into the for-profit world and trying to figure out, like, okay, so in in these sort of new freemium conversations where people are trying to get, like, what's your conversion rate? You know, if you've got this, how many people like convert to an in-app purchase? How many people convert to a subscription? How many people convert? And it's always like tiny single-digit percentages, if you're lucky, like 2% is a big high conversion. Yeah. Um, and so the public radio 10% is like, looks gigantic com by, in comparison. And, and, the, and the, the amount that you convert at looks gigantic. So, um, so I think that's the, I guess that's all I want to say. Like, I feel like we're, we're we, the, the comparison to the music industry, I think, is apt, but that we've always been where the music industry is now, and we've got to try to get, we've got to try to do the same thing now, which is figure out how to get people to pay for something that they don't have to. The one thing I want to pick up on about that is that um, uh, in the music industry, there's also the third parties that are pulling together all the music, and so that is very appropriate to our industry. Um, we've got the... Uh, spoken word is um, flourishing on SoundCloud and Stitcher and TuneIn, and there's NPR One, and there's the public media platform to get out to public radio stations in a different way. And for us, we've been paying attention to this. So at PRX, I mean, a million and a half people visit PRX each year to listen to content. Those are not stations and not producers. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people that are, like define themselves as listeners. And what we know from our um, data is that they they very often hit the play button. Some of them find us by accident, like a bad Google search. They search for Bob Dylan, they, they find us. But, um, because we're a highly indexed site, but we have big shows on our site and we have little shows on our site and people are visiting and so we're, we're in the midst of redesigning PRX to highlight that listener experience because we understand that all of you can think of platforms like ours as another way, another funnel to get audiences to your content that you might not know you're reaching. And so, you know, we're showcasing the new site down at the booth. You can go check it out. But 40% uh, of our uh, traffic is on a mobile device. And as people, if they see that play button, we're learning that they hit it. And that's good. That's good for you. It's good for us. So. Okay, this is going to be our last Last question. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Uh, my name is Reed. Uh, I work at an environmental radio show in Pittsburgh. I cover fracking. Um, so one of the obvious things I we have been thinking of is an energy-related podcast. I just wanted to ask you guys what you guys uh, – how are you working out? So for – as I picture this in my mind, I think – and we're talking sponsors. Obvious – an obvious – it would be easy to imagine a podcast like – called the energy podcast sponsored by Chevron. That's not what I want to do. I will never I would never do that, but um, you'd be so rich. Yeah. <laughs> Sell out. Actually, Sell out. Go okay. Ahead. I got to go actually. I'll, I'll see you that. Change. 
Um, <laughs> I'm going to send you back to the ethics panel at yeah. the beginning. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I don't know. Have you I'm guys, joking, but uh, just in case. Okay. Everybody, I'm, I was joking. Yeah. yeah. But, it, like, if you had a coffee podcast, uh, you wouldn't be sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, like, what do you do? You know, because energy is such a, like, beast of a multi-layered yeah. economic, like, do you, you know, obviously you don't want to be sponsored by Chevron. Do you want to be sponsored by the solar panel guy? Probably not. That's totally, you know, that's another industry. What about the bank that backs mountaintop removal that's in your town? Um, so, uh, so are you asking like how do you guidelines how to choose? What, yeah. what do you think of, of that's kind a really of who can sponsor? I don't know. I mean, you might not have a, I, but I'm just wondering if that had ever come up in your thought process. I mean, probably it, not yet, but. I think it's well, easy f at a big station. You don't have to worry about that because we have very we have an editorial wall. I think if you're a podcaster working on your own, that's yeah, a really tough question. Exactly. I've right never now had have a um, my dis early December episode is going to be sponsored by a mattress company who are like, can we send you a mattress and you'll sleep on it and tell us whether what you think of it and you can say anything you like whether you like it or not. And uh, I was like, what is this? Because I talk about my personal life on the show. Sometimes they feel like they've already been in my bedroom. Like, is it a coincidence <laughs> they're calling me? And I asked a friend, and I'd already said yes, and who was like, no, I think that's, like, that is ridiculous. That's going too far. So I think, yeah. but I think it's a lot harder when you have a show like yours, which is, but I was like, yeah, what, I, I'll make it, I'll try to make it fun. But I think, you know, if you have a show that's on a specific topic that is part of kind of news and politics, and then it's a different story because you have to be really, uh, careful, uh, I would imagine, but I'm maybe not. so. But yeah. I, I think, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's that is a situation that is a tricky thing, and so far we haven't had to deal with that. But I feel like we we are like there's there, there's going to have to be a, a, a wall, you know, between you know sort of like the money and the editorial at a certain point, and um, and it's and I think it's also sort of like it depends on sort of what the content is, mm -hmm. and I think when you're doing journalism. There's a, there's a, um, yeah. You you can't do that really, right? Like you can't. Like it's it's it makes the 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 advertising supported model much harder. And and frankly, that's one of the reasons that we're really trying to figure out like the the, you know, the consumer side, you know, the listener side, because we don't want to only be dependent on the way the old media was, only dependent on advertising revenue. I think we can do. Like you know, advertising is a big component, but I but I feel like it does, especially if you're covering like a sort of a, a tricky topic like that, like where you just it's you just walk into minefields everywhere you go. And I don't have a good answer, but like yeah, you definitely can't have Chevron sponsor your environmental show, right? Like or even a, the solar, solar panel guy. I think yeah, you're right. Or, like, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or or you or 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 maybe you can, but you figure out like a very very state straightforward sort of like you know editorial, you know, ethics policy and you publish it and you, right. and like, the one thing that we're trying to do is that, and like, is, is sort of transparency is, is sort of, you know, we, we are very, very upfront You're about what, transparent. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, sounds funny no, coming from you. but in a good you. way. Yeah, no, yes, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, <laughs> um, no, but, uh, yeah, no, I think, I, and I, that might be, I think that's a way, but I feel like this is one of these things where, this is one of the things that is new to this world and a, a question that we are in the beginning of working out. 
But I think there's also money in podcasting that doesn't come from advertising, right? I mean, even before I really did, was, did very much, people would send me money. They'd just be like, I want to send you money for doing this. And there's that kind of listener engagement. And if on mm -hmm. top of that, you're not just doing something that's like, let me t tell some stories, but that's actually something that people are passionate about. I think you could come up with a model where you could say, you have to send us money to keep doing this. And you could find some really cool way to tie it in with environmental initiatives or something, you know, like, I don't know, but I think you'd be able to get a lot of listener support mm -hmm. combining those two forces. Yeah, I think we're out of time. Thank you. Yeah. But thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for downloading the Third Coast Pocket Conference. We'll be back soon with more sessions, but until then, you can always check out our archive of conference audio at thirdcoastfestival.org. Or have a listen to our other podcast, ReSound, for the best audio stories from around the world. Okay, speak soon. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.